It is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And as we look at it now, we pray that we will allow that word to pierce into our hearts, to touch us and to change us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please do be seated. Well, we're beginning a, a new series this morning on the church. What is the church for? And if you'd like to turn to Matthew 28, the very famous passage at the end of Matthew's Gospel, known as the Great Commission, it's on page 1001. Turn to those verses in a moment. But looking at a, a series, what is the church for, culminating in Back to Church Sunday. That's uh, in four Sundays' time at the end of the month. And it's a little bit based around our church bookmark. I don't know if you've got a copy of our church bookmark. If you haven't, do take one, because uh, it just helps you know where you are in the Bible when you're writing daily readings or whatever. But it also gives in the back what we're about as a church. Five things it says. We're about meeting, growing, serving, speaking, and giving. And this series is loosely based around those. But also, on the bookmark, you'll know there's some gospel in a nutshell verses. So if you're not very good at remembering verses or learning verses, you can stick that in your Bible and you know where they are. And they're great helps in sharing our faith with other people. But this morning we're beginning. I've called it learning. I suppose it could be a little bit about sharing uh, because the whole point of the Christian gospel is it's something to be learned, it's something to be shared. First of all, a little story. It was a sunny Sunday afternoon and two young church members, particularly enthusiastic, were going to door-to-door, visiting people and inviting them to come to their church. Well, when they knocked on one door, it was immediately clear that the woman who answered wasn't happy to see them. She told them in no uncertain terms she didn't want to hear their message or have anything to do with the church. And before they could say anything, she slammed the door in their faces. To her surprise, the door sprang open again. And she tried again, putting her back into it. She slammed it with the same result. The door bounced back open. Obviously, these rude young people were sticking their feet in the door. So she stepped back once more to give it a slam that would teach them a lesson once and for all. But just before she did so, one of them said quietly, Madam, before you do that again, you might want to move your cat. <laughs> now, it's certainly true, isn't it, that some people hate the church. Uh, one of the features of society today is the virulence of some people's atheism. People like Richard Dawkins with The God Delusion. Philip Pullman, the children's author, who openly admits in his own words, my books are about killing God. There's Christopher Hitchens, who died recently. They seem to be angry with God, angry with the church, angry with the whole idea of faith. But I suspect they're fairly unrepresentative. Most people don't hate the church. They don't hold it in very high regard. They probably just ignore it. They're indifferent to it. For some of them, you see, the church is a social clique. Mark Twain put it like this. Church is a place where a nice, respectable person stands up in front of other nice, respectable people and urges them to be nicer and more respectable. That's the way some people see us. For others, it's a sort of insurance policy. They might not come very often, but they're glad it's there when they need it. One person put it like this. I think of your church the way I think of my local hospital. I'm glad my life is stable enough so that I don't need it very often, but when I do need it, I'm glad there's a good one around. See, I think a lot of people would think like that. For others, it's a bunch of hypocrites. Oh, we've all heard that. Oh, church, I'm not going to church. It's a bunch of hypocrites. A friend of mine had the perfect reply to that. He used to say, don't worry, there's room for one more. Come and join us. <laughs> I've never tried that one. I never, never dared. But it is true that a lot of people think of us as hypocrites. Stephen Neal, the uh, great historian, church historian, said this, nothing in the contemporary scene is more striking 
than the general regard which is felt for Jesus Christ and the general dislike of the organized church which bears his name. I think it was Mick Jagger who said, I love Jesus Christ, but I hate the church. Again, I think that's probably true of many. For others, it's just irrelevant. That's the thing we're accused of all the time today. Isn't it? The church is irrelevant. It needs to be more relevant. It needs to catch up with today and so on. It's got nothing to say worth hearing. Nothing that really speaks relevantly to our concerns today. In fact, I came across this statement on a political blog recently, of all places. If the Church of England wants a place in public life, then it has to earn it. It has to be relevant. Its leadership needs to get its hand dirty. Now, in all honesty, what that person meant was it needs to buy into my political persuasion. That's what it was saying, to be relevant. But nevertheless, there's a great cry, isn't there, for the church to be relevant today. And people are very critical of it. Often those criticisms do have a certain validity. But the strange thing is the statistics don't always tell quite the same story. We've heard for years, haven't we, about shrinking attendance and so on. Well, it's not quite as bad as everybody makes out. There was a recent survey conducted by Tear Fund. I think it was in 2007, so it was five years ago. But it discovered that contrary to the UK's secular image, Christianity is still the dominant faith in the country. Over half of the adult population, 26 million people, claim to be Christian. It may not mean much, but that's what they claim. 7.6 million adults go to church each month. One in 10 go every week. Well, it may have shrunk a little bit since then, but that's still an enormous number. One in four, 12.6 million people go to church at least once a year. It's a lot of people, isn't it? But what is more striking is the number of people, as I said earlier, who said they would attend church if only they were asked. The survey showed that three million people who have stopped going to church or have never been in their lives would seriously consider it given the right invitation. Very interesting, isn't it? It's not common throughout the UK. Certain parts are much more church than others. 22% of people in London attend church every month. That's huge, isn't it? One million adults attend ethnic minority Christian churches. 48% of adults of black ethnic origin attend church monthly. Striking. But whatever we say about those statistics, it still means that 66 of the population, percent of the population, have no connection with church at all. And I wonder if that worries or concerns us, because it should. So that's why we're doing a little series over the coming month on the church. What is the church for? We want to rediscover the meaning of church, what it means to be a member of church. See, I, say, I wonder what you would say. How would you describe the church? Does it matter to you? Are the people around you on a Sunday just people who happen to turn up in the same place? Or are they truly your family, your brothers and sisters? Are we a clique or a number of cliques? Or are we truly a community? Philip Yancey, the American Christian writer, said, we often surround ourselves with the people we most want to live with, thus forming a clique or a club, but not a community. Anyone can form a club. It takes grace, a shared vision, and hard work to form a community. And that's what we should be. But are we? Is that the way in which we're seen? It's too easy to seem boring and irrelevant, when actually church should be the most exciting thing around. Listen to these words speaking about the power of the local church. The local church is the hope of the world. There is nothing like the local church when it is working properly. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving. It heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. 
It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addiction. It frees the oppressed. It offers belonging to the marginalized. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Extraordinary words, really, aren't they? And that's what the church can be and what the church should be. And we're looking at some of those ideas over the next weeks. Now, as I said, I don't know if you ever got hold of one of these church bookmarks. There's still got kind of a lot of them left, so if you've never taken one, do take them. They're still available at the back of the church. But as I say, on the back of it are five aspects of church life that we expect members of our church to be committed to. We expect us to be committed to meeting together. We need the regular help and encouragement of fellow believers. That's why we meet in church and in groups, meeting together. Growing. We all need to read the Bible and pray regularly and take every opportunity to grow in our knowledge of God. Serving. There are many areas of service in our church. Our hope is that every member will find an area of service appropriate for them. Speaking. We're surrounded by people who know little of Christ. We all have a duty to pass that message on in whatever way we can. And giving. Our churches cost about £150,000 a year to run. The money needs to be raised from within the congregation. Those are some of the areas of discipleship that we're looking at as members of the church over the coming weeks. And the one that we want to start with stems from this passage here in Matthew 28. I called it learning. It really should be speaking, I suppose. But the point it's making is that actually the Christian faith is something we need to learn. It's something that people need to learn. It's not something that people know instinctively. Most people think they understand God. Or they know what he's like, but they don't. None of us do. Unless he is revealed to us. And that is a fundamental part. That is the most important part of what we do as a church is to pass on the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we turn to these words in Matthew 28. Jesus' instructions to his early disciples given with all his authority at the very end of his ministry. All authority, he says, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'd like to concentrate really just on verse 19. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not the other things that are unimportant, but I want really to focus particularly on those two. First of all, make disciples. And as part of making disciples, because the word disciple means a learner, that does mean being taught all that Jesus has taught us. Make disciples. That is the primary call of the church, to make disciples. It's not to be a social welfare agency. It's not to be a sort of religious club, a place where we can come and do our religious bit for the week. No, the church exists to make disciples. That is what we are here for. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, during the Second World War once said, the church is the only organization that exists entirely for the benefits of its non-members. Isn't that interesting? Entirely. The entire reason we're here is to benefit the world outside. Everything we do as a church, therefore, the services we lay on, the courses, the groups, the pastoral care we offer one another, the love we extend, the buildings we maintain, none of these are ends in themselves. We do each of them because in some way they'll help in our overall purpose, that of making disciples. See, one of the dangers of a little bookmark like this is that it makes speaking of our faith or making disciples or whatever, one of equally important tasks. 
Whereas in fact it's this one, the making of disciples, that comes before and above all the rest. It's what the church is for. It's what we are for. And it's making disciples of all nations, of all people. No one lies outside the scope or the range of the gospel. See, there's a strain of thought today that we have no right, no need, to take the gospel to people of other faiths and other nations. This is what a recent retired bishop in the Church of England said not long ago. The call for the evangelism of Muslims shows no sensitivity to the need for good interfaith relations. Christians, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs are learning to respect one another's paths to God and live in harmony. This demand for the evangelization of people of other faiths contributes nothing to our communities. But what does Jesus say? He says, go and make disciples of all nations. I would love to go to that bishop and say, what on earth do you make of these words? We are told expressly that the gospel is for all people. And therefore, not to share that gospel with other people is supremely selfish. We'll get the benefits of ourselves, but hang everybody else. The Christian gospel is for everyone. When the angels appeared to the shepherds that first Christmas, what did they say? Don't be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. The Bible again and again and again says the gospel is for everyone, without exception. And that's why our first responsibility, the first responsibility of all Christian people, is to do all we can to take that gospel to the people around us. We may not have the words, the arguments, but we can all give an invitation. We can all say, come along, I'm back to church Sunday, or come along at Christmas, or come along to a Christianity Explore course. We can all give an invitation. And why don't we do that? Just think of something that we can invite, because that is why God has placed us here, to make disciples. And then secondly, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I think I've often slightly sort of kind of passed over this particular command, slightly ignored it. Well, I was away on holiday, I was reading a, a book called Total Church, where the staff said we'd uh, read a book together, and it's all about uh, understanding what church is for and what church is about. And one of the things that came across to me most strongly in that book was the importance of the church community in sharing our faith. And that when we actually invite someone to, to turn to Christ, we're inviting them to become part of his family. It's not a sort of optional extra. And baptism is the formal symbol, if you like, of initiation into that community of believers. It's the point at which we publicly identify ourselves, not just with Christ and the Christian faith, but with Christian people. He says, us saying, this is my team, this is my family, this is my home. See, when Jesus brings us to himself, he brings us as part of a whole new community. See, people don't understand that, do they? People really don't understand that. Just before I went on holiday, the day in fact we left, I did a funeral service for a lady I'd not actually met before. I spoke with uh, one or two relatives beforehand, and I gathered she was not a churchgoer. She had been in her younger days, but somehow or other it had stopped, and she'd not been a churchgoer for many years. And I said as much in the service. Somebody came up to me afterwards and said, oh, yes, she did have a real faith. Oh, she had a real faith, he said, but she never went to church. See, I've lost count of the number of times people have said something to me along those lines. Yes, I do believe I am a Christian, but I don't go to church. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, there is a half-truth in that. It's not going to church that makes a person a Christian, but it actually completely misses the point. See, the point is the New Testament says this is not a valid stance. We cannot say that faith on the one hand and being part of the church on the other are two separate things. They are not. They go hand in hand. You cannot believe in Christ but hate the church. 
The point is to believe in Christ is to be a member of the church and of that family. Real faith, true commitment, is a commitment not just to Christ, but to his people as well. John Stott put it like this. The church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. For his purpose, conceived in a past eternity, being worked out in history and perfected in future, is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church. That is, call out of the world a people for his own glory. And that's why Jesus says baptizing them, welcoming them into the family of the church, saying you're part of a new people. See, that's what so many people lack. They lack that belonging, that sense of being a part of a family. And that's what we should be. And that brings us to another side of the same point. This new community is a vital part of our evangelism. See, when we invite people to turn to Christ, we're inviting them to become part of his family, his people. And I wonder if people would want to join us and be part of us. So in four weeks' time, as I say, we have Back to Church Sunday. Great chance to invite back those people who were members, maybe those who've never been members at all, because we have something indescribably great to offer to them in the gospel. But we also have something more. We have actually belonging to a new community. And are we the sort of community that people would want to join? Some years ago, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago maybe, uh, somebody came to church on the Sunday here. They weren't regular, they very rarely came, and they were probably feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Anyway, they sat down in one seat, and immediately behind them was somebody they worked with. This person took one look at them and said, what on earth are you doing here? Well, it wasn't really the most welcoming thing to say, was it? It's just the one thing they remember from that service. This person saying to them, what on earth are you doing here? Well, I'm sure it wasn't meant unkindly. But actually, when people come into church for the first time, they are feeling very vulnerable. And we must do everything we can to make them feel at home. Because actually, becoming part of the family is a part of becoming a follower of Christ. The church, you see, is first and foremost about making disciples. That's what should be closer to our hearts than anything else. That should be number one on the agenda of our PCC every month. What are we doing to make disciples? It's been brought home to me very vividly again. See, we are surrounded by people in this community who know little or nothing of Christ. What are we doing to reach out to them? See, that's why God has left us here. If we are here just to serve him and to worship him, we might as well go to heaven right now. The reason we're still here is because there's work to do. And that work is reaching others for Christ. And the church is first and foremost about making disciples of all people, of all sorts of people, not just the people who'd fit into our group. All people, all nations, all parts of our society. But we need to remember that when we do make disciples, we're bringing them into a new community. They become part of our family. They become our brothers and sisters. And we must welcome them as part of our family. Sometimes there's a sort of jealousy within a church. It almost says, no, I like it as it is. I don't want it to change. I don't want other people coming in. That person will be all right, but I don't want that person. That should never be our attitude. Because inviting someone to follow Christ is inviting them to be part of the family. And we are all shapes and sizes. We're all different ages. We have different tastes in music. We have different tastes in all sorts of things. But in Christ, we are one. Let's pray, therefore, that we would begin to take this on board. First, that our top priority is that of making disciples. And let's seek of ways in which we can just in some way work towards that. Just give an invitation for Back to Church Sunday or whatever it may be. 
But let's secondly work to make our community one that people want to be a part of. When they come in here, they feel this is home. This is a family. Every now and again, somebody's come in here and said that no one's welcomed them at all, and they felt very out of place. But other times people have come and they've said, actually, the moment I walked in, it was like coming home. That's what it should be, isn't it? Coming home. And that's what Christ is saying here. Make disciples and make them at home in your family. Let's pray that we do that more effectively. Let's pray, and then we'll sing our final song together. Let's pray. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Believing and belonging. Becoming a follower of Christ, becoming a member of his family. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us all to understand more clearly what it means to be part of your family, that we would be and feel and know we are part of your family. But also we pray that you'd help us more effectively to hold out that offer of the gospel to the world around us. Help us to be more effective, we pray, in making disciples. Bless us at work, bless us at home, bless us amongst our family, all those who do not know Christ. Help us to reach them, we pray, for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.